Hey, it's Brian Hayes. It used to stress me out when things would break in my house. Not anymore, though, and I'm sure you can guess why. Jiffy. The other day, my dryer stopped working. Out of the blue, zero heat. But I didn't panic. I just hopped on the Jiffy app. John came that afternoon, and all my wet laundry was dry in no time. Jiffy saved the day once again. Download the Jiffy app or sign up at JiffyOnDemand.com with the code SPORTS for $25 off your first job. Jiffy, fast and reliable, home maintenance. Mailing it in with two friends, the O-Dog Jeff O'Neill and Dave Fezchuk from the Toronto Star. How's everyone doing? Everyone's warm? Everyone's staying dry? I'm going to mail this one in like you've never seen before. <laughs> <laughs> I right. will say, though, I just watched a funeral at TPC Sawgrass, that Ramey dude that was oh. leading the tournament, and... I don't know. The debate is always, is the 17th at Sawgrass a stupid hole? Is it a quality golf hole? You just got to hit a wedge to the center of the green if you don't want to do something stupid. But you see that poor bastard. He just lost the tournament. With, like, he just made a 7 or an 8. What, is it 7? It was a 7. Yeah, he made 7 on a little teeny weeny par 3. And he took himself out of the tournament. You know he won't be able to get it back on the rails to get back in this thing. So then the debate goes on. Is it a dumb hole? Is it, I, I don't know what it is. I played it 30 times, and I never found it that difficult, but he just made a mess of it and cost himself the tournament. Well, how many, we were just reacting to the scorecard. We missed it. Yeah. Like, it's up here. Did he go in the water twice then? Two in the water. Two in the water, and then he just started butchering it around, and he just made one for a, for a seven, and it's just like, I don't know. I, I just don't know. Isn't the caddy, and I understand there's pressure, there's wind, there's all these uncontrollable factors, but isn't the caddy just saying, dude, middle of the green and get two putts and let's get out of here and take our chances on 18, and we're going into the weekend with the lead, and the guy makes a seven. You're right, O'Dog. I mean, I love the hole personally. I mean, I know there are those who believe it's a tricked-up gimmick and it shouldn't be a part of a, a golf tournament that is essentially the fifth major. But you're right. It was the, You could argue it's the caddy's fault in that one because he, he dunks the first one, and it's a back pin, and he goes to the drop zone, and he's probably thinking to himself, I'm going to stick this tight, and I'm going to be putting four. for my four, mm-hmm. and everything will be fine. But it's a back pin, right? And there's not that much room off that back. And what do you know? He slides it off the back and, and ends up with the quad nice. on the card, man. That's a tough way to go out. It is a tough way to go out. What's Romeo on the bag thinking, you know? Yeah. You'd be, would you be blaming the caddy on that one, O-Dog? Like, would you be nah, cursing man. your caddy because or you blaming yourself? As much as the caddy's got to give direction, Chuck, it's like, just like you mentioned, the guys that are saying it's a gimmicky hole, you're the best players in the world, and you torch every single course you go to. There's no hole that they can create out there that's too long for you guys. So hit a 125-yard shot in the center of the green. Yes. That's the bottom line. Like I said, there is a lot of factors, but like, just pull the trigger and get it done. And he probably got a little too far ahead of himself mm-hmm. and was thinking about the lead on the weekend at the players, and he just, he just cost himself the golf tournament. Well, I think Tiger Woods said it best. You can't win it on Thursday or Friday, but you can certainly pull the pin on your chances to win, and that's what he just did. Yeah. Well, you, you mentioned that you've played this course 30 times, um, and I'm sure you've had a bunch of different results. Have you ever duplicated what your guy – Victor Hovland did earlier today by hitting the edge of the green 
it went up like a mile in the air and somehow stayed on the back fringe. No, no. I hit I hit 17 every time I played it. It wasn't I I never thought it was a hard hole because when you're looking at the golf hole, the back grass, it doesn't look like an island green. It it just looks like a short par 3 with that grandstand. It looks like part of the hole, so it never it never felt difficult to me. And it played 138 yards every time I played it. I'm like, this is a little baby wedge or a baby nine iron or a pitching wedge and put it in the center of the green. Right. You know what? It's it's you're right, Odog. It like it's got to be the nerves, though, right? You got to think it's partly nerves, right? Like there, are, like you, you always go around the tee at a, at a PGA Tour event, and I've been lucky enough to cover a bunch of them. And you think, man, there's not much that separates these guys, right? Like you watch the world number one hit a ball, and whether it's John yeah. Rahm or even Tiger Woods, it's all putting. Yeah, there's no, but I do think like this guy, Chad Ramey, comes into this tournament world number two twenty five. And, you know, speaking of guys who are out there a lot, and mostly caddies and coaches, the one thing that maybe separates world number 225 from maybe a world number top 50 or, or, or a top 10 official world golf ranking player, it's that mental game stuff, right? It's, it's just knowing how to manage your game and knowing how to manage a moment. And this is a moment this guy's never had before, leading the fifth major uh, on the second day. That's, that's stuff where the juices start flowing in a different way. It could happen to anybody, though. JP or Arad, pull up what I think I saw Bob Twyey make a 16 on that hole one day. <laughs> I'm not kidding you. He was a veteran dude, and he was sniffing around the lead. And old Bobby Tway stepped up to 17. And if you Google highest scores ever made, Bobby Tway is up there because I watched him do it. It was 13, 11, I don't know what the hell it was. It was a 12. A 12. Wow. Bobby Tway on a 135-yard hole made a 12, and I was just like, that is outrageous. That's, he pulled a tin cup. He did right? pull a tin cup, but I got to tell you guys, I was very happy with myself today. I pulled a stunt that happened to me many times, many times, and I thought people were frauds for sending a text that went like this, so I sent the same one. Hey, I'm going to be in town. I don't want any freebies, but could you put some tickets away, COD, for me for the hockey game? I'm going to Tampa, and I want to go to a game, so I sent somebody I know down there a little message, and I know exactly what that message means because I used to get it all the time. Oh, I don't want any freebies. Oh, really? You don't? Yeah, you do. You're just being polite, saying you don't want freebies. So I sent the same message for the first time in my life today. So you offered to pay cash on delivery. But I don't want to pay you cash. You don't want to pay? I want the person that's making zillions of dollars to pay for the tickets. Uh, okay. Because right. we had a whole discussion about this yesterday, about how, you know, I asked, oh, have you ever gone into a nice restaurant in Toronto as a big pro star mm-hmm. of the Toronto Maple Leafs and gotten a free meal? Mm-hmm. And he said it never happens. Matt no. Sundin doesn't happen. And then he talked about how, you know, millionaire uh, hockey players want a free round of golf and how that disgusts them. So, oh, it does. It's just like, oh, yeah, you know, if we show up, can we get out there for free? It's like, no, you can pay. <laughs> we can get you a tea time, but you got to pay. Right. Okay. Well, you're- wow. But this is like the circle of life, Death Row. It's like I deserve, I deserve the tickets for all the nonsense that I had to put up with. Uh, no doubt, Odog. No doubt you deserve the tickets. But I'm shocked by this revelation that you're saying you as an esteemed member of the NHL alumni will get a call from a current player where the salaries are astronomically higher than they were in your era that wants a freebie at your golf course? Is that what you're telling us? 
No, no, Chuck. I'm talking about when I played, and the guy that you went to high school with that you hardly know calls your hotel room and says, Hey, I'm in town. I was looking for some tickets. I don't want a freebie, but can you leave some right. COD? Okay. Right. Okay. What that guy was saying back in the day was, I need you to hook me up with tickets. Gotcha. Because if I open up that envelope, I'll pass out when I look at the price of the tickets. So you actually better pay for that, it. That friend is expecting you to say, no problem, I got it, and don't worry about the money. <laughs> right? That is exactly right. All right. Well, I only believe there was a couple times where I found it really irritating. It's like a buddy of a buddy who you've never actually met in your life, and, you're, and, and you get some kind of message. I had no idea how these people would track you down, but message on the hotel phone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm in town. I need seven tickets. It's like, what are you talking about? Seven tickets. Don't even know the person. I don't Not know. Not two, seven. Well, that's it. Just so, give me the row. How about, I just, <laughs> today was revenge for me. It was revenge for me. All right. How about Connor McDavid today telling the reporters in Toronto that essentially he's got nobody coming to the game for him tomorrow? Miss Newmarket's finest. He says like all his friends and family have either, are they either out of town or they moved out of town. I think the quote really? was... I guess they didn't circle it on their calendar. My only trip to Toronto once once a year, and McDavid and, got and because of the pandemic, I don't think he's played in front of friends and family here since 2020, right. like January 2020. That's exactly right. Wow. I find it amazing watching the young player. Like it seems like, let's be real here, okay? To play hockey nowadays, I think you got to be rich. There's just no other yeah. way around it. And when when you see kids. They're rich they're all a lot of them are rich, man, playing hockey because it's so expensive to play. And it seems like a lot of the parents go to a lot of the games. Yes. A lot of road games. Oh yeah. Like it seems like out of eighty two games, parents are going to possibly fifty five to sixty games. Oh, which yeah. is insane. No more I played in a I played in a playoff series as a kid from King City, half an hour up the street. And I asked my parents if they wanted tickets to come down. They were like, nah, we're just going to watch it on the, on the TV tonight. <laughs> they were quite happy just to watch it on TV. Yeah. It's so funny, Odog, you say that because, you know, they have every team now is, or most every team has gone to the, the moms of the dad's trip. They kind of flip back and forth. And I've heard more than a few executives over the past few years say, why do we even have a moms and a dads trip when the moms and the dads are always on the trip? <laughs> right. Know, a lot of them, especially yeah. the ones with the Let's kids. Say, hey, uh, I mean, it would be pretty cool if you had the cash and you had the time. It's like, I know when I'm like retired and, and not working, I wouldn't mind following the Leafs on the road or following the Blue Jays one summer and just say, I'm going to go to as many road games as possible. Do I want to do the every stadium in the summer type thing? Probably not. But it'd be pretty cool. But even as a parent, I mean, I mean, my dad, my mom and dad couldn't do that because they worked. Right, like, right. I had a father's trip. We were going to Philadelphia, and I called my dad. I'm like, we got this cool thing. It's called the father's trip. He's like, no, I'm not. I can't. I have to work. <laughs> it was just really? matter of fact. He yeah. was like, I'm, I have to work tomorrow. What do you think? I'm just going to Philadelphia on a father's trip? And I was like, so my uncle Mike came. Oh, that's nice. Okay. Yeah. But the, these father's trips, you're right, Fast Truck. They, they're... They're always there, which is cool. It's your kid. But, man, they're at a lot of games. Yeah. Yeah. Different uh, different world that it's we're living different in. different era, man. The parents are, you know, I guess it's like, could you imagine, oh, dog, your parents in your era calling a team executive in the NHL to discuss your career? 
Absolutely not. Like, absolutely not. I remember one time Jimmy Rutherford came in the room, and North Carolina was not a hockey market right when we got there. It's probably still not. It's just this, it's a non-traditional market, I'm sure mm-hmm. we could call it. And there was a guy in our team whose neighbor, <laughs> his neighbor wasn't happy with the amount of playing time <laughs> that... <laughs> That the guy on our team was getting. So he started writing emails to Jimmy Rutherford. (laughs) Like explaining how pissed off he was about the amount. And he thought that that was standard protocol. And Jimmy, one time, he just said, you got to tell your neighbor. You got to tell your neighbor to stop with the emails or it's going to be problematic. I can't take it anymore. (laughs) (laughs) The neighbor. The neighbor was writing emails to Jimmy Rutherford saying, not happy with what's going on with dot, dot, dot. It's just he's got to play more. I think he can help on the power play, this and that. This went on and on. And finally, Jimmy said, "That, that just can't happen anymore. I can't have it. Yeah, that's a that's a close neighbor. That's like yeah, like that it sounds almost a bit fishy. Like is that like pre pre social media? Is that like the the player's burner account? This yeah. is my neighbor emailing Jimmy. It's you not know me, what? Jimmy, it's my neighbor. <laughs> oh, it's you never know, Fest Chuck. Yeah. Maybe it was the player creating some kind of fake account. <laughs> yeah. I, it wouldn't surprise me. You or never know what people can get up to, but yeah. that that that's what went down. His neighbor was complaining and he sure heard about it, that's for sure. All right. Uh, we had a jam-packed show. Uh, we were talking about the Players' Championship. We'll be joined by Bob Weeks at 6.30. We should point out Adam Svensson, the Canadian, in sole possession, a second right now at minus seven, one shot back of the lead. So uh, good tournament so far for the Canadians. We have Ryan Rashog, Cheryl Pounder, and Mike Johnson all on the show because a pretty big one is happening tomorrow night in Toronto between the Maple Leafs and the Oilers, and the Oilers are coming off of... Maybe their most impressive win of the year, defeating the Boston Bruins. First time the Bruins have lost in regulation when leading after two periods this season. Uh, it snaps their winning streak. And, oh, maybe the most impressive thing is that the Oilers won without McDavid and Drysaddle scoring. Yes. Well, what's most impressive, Death Row, is you and Frankie C owe me lunch. No, no, no. No, 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 excuse me. I think I didn't guess the score right, but I was closest. You were closest, yes. If we're going by that, then yes, we definitely owe you lunch. So because the next time it comes around going. in the Niner Diner, I will see you guys at 2 o'clock p.m. Okay. for a lunch <laughs> on right. both of you. Did the O-Dog pick an Oilers win? He did. We both wow. picked the Bruins, and we had scores, and, and O was off by a single goal. I think you said 4-2 Edmonton would win. Yeah, and you know what, guys? And, Dave, you've heard athletes talk about statement games and blah, blah, blah. That victory, I believe, will do some good for the Edmonton Oilers because the Boston Bruins just don't lose this year. No. And for them to kind of get a feel and a vibe what they got and what they're all about – can they win a game without McDavid and Dreisaitl on the scoreboard all over the score sheet? That was a big win for them, and that probably told them that maybe Stuart Skinner's a guy that can go into a hostile environment, pick up two points, get a win. Everything about that probably is, is in the bank account for the Edmonton Oilers and are going to help them along the way. I don't doubt that. I mean, you look at it like it's they're not far off the West lead, right? They're only... Coming into tomorrow night against the Leafs, they're only four points out of leading the West. I mean, Vegas is up there. Vegas and L.A. tied for 80, uh, with 84 points. They've got 80 points. I mean, it's, it's not, a, you know, the West is up for grabs. Like, oh, for you know, sure. Getting to the final, 
is, you know, Colorado's not what they were. You know, Who's Vegas. the best team in the West right now? Exactly. If, my, they, if the Edmonton Oilers get goaltending, I don't think anybody can stop them in the West. I really don't. If McDavid can crank it up and dry sidle like they did last year and dry sidle on a healthy uh, ankle, yeah. that, that, mm-hmm. that Ekholm acquisition, I don't think it can be kind of taken too lightly. Like He is a big no. man who plays for keeps. And he keeps some flies away in front of the goaltender. He plays against top offensive players. That's a great acquisition for them, and I think it's going to go a long way. So McDavid, who did not get a point yesterday, he's only gone back-to-back games without a point once this year, and it was back in October. So mm-hmm. you can probably hammer the uh, the anytime point for Connor McDavid tomorrow night against the. Is Maple that even Wars. a bet? I was going to say it, it doesn't pay off very I well. Say, I don't think. Yeah. I think that you still owe whoever your bookie is if, you, if you're betting on him getting a point. Um, the Maple Leafs, interesting lines coming out of practice, and Sheldon Keefe did confirm that they will dress 11-7 tomorrow. They have Tavares on kind of a third line with Bunting. Yeah. Bunting's not on the top line again, even though he had a good game against the Devils. Uh, Luke Shen's still in Vancouver, so Gustafson's there. But um, Oh, and we're showing the lines now on, on TSN4. Yeah. They're they're keeping the Lafferty, Yarncroke, Nylander line together because I guess they you know Sheldon Keefe liked what he saw against the Devils, but yeah, break. It, it comes back down to like oh how do you how would you feel as a forward going with eleven and seven? I love it as a forward because if you're a top end guy, it really doesn't uh, affect your game plan whatsoever. But I I don't even know if that's for real. I mean, put William Nylander back with Michael Bunting and John Tavares. Or put Bunting back with Matthews and Marner. And I, I don't know why that looks like that. Because the bottom six guys, you're just basically mixing and, max, uh, mi- mixing and matching and looking for some kind of third line to go out there. And then you just don't offend the other two guys and, and give them some spot duty. So I, I love the way they're, that they're creative. And Sheldon can look at some different options for different scenarios. But sometimes it's like right in front of you and you can't overthink it where it's like, get Bunting back with Matthews. He proved to you last game that you gave him a little pee-pee whack and then it's like he's he, he did his thing and said, put me back on the top line. Yeah, I still think they're they're worried about Michael Bunting. Oh, dog, I think they feel they need to send him a message and maybe more than a little pee-pee whack for a game because if you think about guys that can kind of ruin a game for you in a big game and make a bad decision that puts you behind the eight ball in a big game. I think Michael Bunting's proven he could be that guy, right? Like maybe one too many times this season in terms of undisciplined penalties. And, and I, I get it, Fast Chuck, but it just seems like for some of the forwards and some of the key guys that – and we've talked about his his obsession with the refs and yelling at the refs yes. and how he has to channel his intensity – into the opponent and just have hockey intensity instead of the nonsense of yelling at the refs. But for a guy, for a team that just doesn't have a lot of like sandpaper like that and a lot of extra effort, guys, it seems like for the most part he works his ass off every night. Oh, yeah. And it's like if you want to pick and choose who you're giving the little whack to, it always seems to be him. So I, I, everyone's got to be accountable, but it's like you proved your point, you put him on the fourth line. Now we scored a goal. Maybe put him back at the top line and say, go do your thing. And if you do it one more time, it's going to take you five games to get back there. I don't know. Well, and you were mentioning these kind of benchmark games that teams have. And, and for the Leafs, you know, anytime that McDavid's in town, it's a big deal. Given how you lost, 
you know, in Edmonton and the way that you lost. And, and oh, you brought it up. It doesn't take Sheldon Keith to say something. It's going to take a veteran. But Michael Bunting, maybe not vocally, is going to be the leader in the room. But on the ice, he's going to have a say in this game. I totally agree with that. It's just, I, I don't know. Just as far as Bunting goes, it seems like, I don't know. He's, I, I like the kid for some reason. Yeah. There's just something about him. I like, I like him for some reason. And I think he works hard. And he provides a lot on that top line, and it seems like they always want to go to him, and he's kind of their whipping boy. I'm not sure. Yeah, look, I don't, I don't disagree with you, Odak. I think ultimately, you know, when push comes to shove, if we're talking about an important game, a decisive game in the first round, you know, it's hard to imagine it's not going to be Matthews, Martyr, and Bunting. It's hard to imagine it's going to be Alex Kerfoot up there on the first line. But you know, stranger things have happened. But I, I, I want to. The thing that intrigues me about this deployment of eleven and seven is how do you feel if you're Justin Hall, defenseman number seven right now? Like, yeah. th- this, is, this, is a moment, this is a moment where Justin Hall's got to be wondering, am I going to be a factor when it comes to these big games that we're talking about in the playoffs? That's a competition I don't mind, Festchuk. It's like, you, you want to talk about guys that should be working their rear ends off to get a spot in that lineup. You've got it right now. You've got, they always toss out internal competitions, and a lot of times it's nonsense because of contracts and where guys are slotted. You're just not beating a guy out of a spot. But right now, you have a chance to beat a guy out of a spot and show how, how badly you want to play in the ta- against the Tampa Bay Lightning in the first round with what you're going to do here in the last 10 or 15 games. Yeah, yeah well said. Uh, big game this weekend. Uh, Leafs Oilers, we'll be talking about it throughout the show. Uh, it's Mark Rowe in for Brian Hayes alongside Dave Feshek and Jeff O'Neill. And coming up next, from our Edmonton Bureau, Ryan Rashogged. And his thoughts on the Oilers' big win last night against the Bruins. This is Overdrive on TSN 1050 and also up on TSN 4. Overdrive continuing on TSN 1050, the TSN app, and also up on TSN 4. Mark Rowe in for Brian Hayes today alongside Dave Festchuk from the Toronto Star and the O-Dog Jeff O'Neill. A a jam-packed show at 445. Uh, soon to be on the level of excellence here in Toronto, Jose Bautista will join us. One of the great Blue Jays of all time. Uh, so it'll be great to chat with him. Uh, Ryan Rashog is going to join us in a couple of minutes. Uh, Mike Johnson's going to kick off the 6 o'clock hour. Cheryl Pounder as well. We'll get their thoughts on uh, the Leafs and the Oilers. Um, and there's, there's a buzz in the city when Connor McDavid is here, given the season that he's having, given the fact that you know, there's there are some comparables to, you know, seeing what Austin Matthews did purely as a goal scorer last year and yep. saying, okay, fine, if that's what's missing from my game, I'll do that as well. And, and he's pretty much done it. Oh yeah, more than pretty much. But he's on pace for he's on pace for 67 goals right now. Yeah. He's got 54 coming into tomorrow night. I mean, it's it, pretty impressive. It's uh, it's unbelievable. And a man who has a front row seat to every Oilers game, pretty much every Oilers practice uh, from Edmonton, our TSN reporter, Ryan Rashog. Shogger, great to have you on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. Great to talk to you guys. So a win over the Boston Bruins, which is uh, very rare for any team to mm. do this year. Where would yesterday's victory rank in, in the accomplishments of the Edmonton Oilers so far this season? Oh, it's the high point of the season, right? You roll into Boston, a place where nobody wins, never mind winning in regulation, uh, taking on a team that's on an absolute tear, uh, give up the first goal, uh, you pretty much lights out anytime that happens. 
and you find a way to battle back in that game and, and grab a win. That's I don't know that there will be much more of a high point to the season than you know than that. And then, really, when you think about it, Oiler high points often have to do with Connor McDavid and Leon Drysaddle, right? Like the goal against the Rangers last year. All these crazy moments. When you think about all Oiler moments, those guys were front and center. But what's meaningful about last night's win, you guys, is they weren't. They were not front and center at all. They were felt like McDavid didn't even have the puck all night long. Yet they beat the Boston Bruins without those guys having to lead the charge. So that's a big win in that room for a bunch of guys, never mind just a big moment created by the two guys that always create big moments. Rich, what's bigger for you is that they won the game and had secondary scoring, like you mentioned, without McDavid and Dreisaitl contributing, or the fact that Stuart Skinner went into a hostile environment and, jo- and got the job done? Yeah, I think the fact that Skinner won that game is, is important, and it's a confidence booster for him. But more than just winning the game, oh, he wasn't good early. He wasn't. That first period, you look at the goals he let in, and there was one that was disallowed. I don't think he'd like any of them. Mm-hmm. And so that's jarring. They gave up a goal in the last second of the opening period. That's crushing. Yet he was able to steal himself, went right back in, played really good for the final 40 minutes. The Oilers were able to steady themselves when things weren't going well against a team that gives up nothing. And they were able to find the game. So your point about Skinner is well taken. Not just that he got the win, but that it didn't go well, steadied himself, buckled down, and got himself and the team the win. That's that's what I talk about, the victory last night. It was for a bunch of guys, for a bunch of different reasons. It wasn't just about McDavid and Dreisaitl. Rish, I don't know if you think this or any any of us on the show right now think this, but I think when a player changes teams, sometimes they look a little bit different. And it's like Ekholm, when he put the Oilers jersey on, he grew four feet. Like, he looks like <laughs> a monster out there. And I don't ever remember yeah. him watching him play in Nashville, him kind of sticking out as being this giant out there. But, man, has he fit in nicely. I don't know if he's going to continue to play with the Bouchard kid, but he can really, like, people talk about bringing in a player to kind of solidify things and slotting everything nicely. He certainly has done that, hasn't he? I don't know that I've seen a better example of a guy coming in and not just providing his own solid play, mm-hmm. but providing a level of calm for everybody because of the space he takes up and the way he yeah. lets everybody else fit into a more comfortable position. So let's never mind his play, right? His play has been fantastic. He's been excellent defensively. He's been killing penalties, blocking shots. Um, he's been doing everything and more that they could have wanted him to do. Let's move past that. Let's talk about Darnell Nurse, right? Reduce His minutes have been up still. He's been playing lots. But Ekholm's out there against the other team's top line, too. He takes some of the tough minutes. So Nurse's minutes aren't going to be as tough because Matthias Ekholm is there. Let's talk about Brett Kulak, basically playing on a second pairing most of the year. He's not a second pairing defenseman. Now his matchups are significantly different. Now let's talk about Evan Bouchard, a young, developing defenseman who is still so susceptible to the ups and downs of confidence. He was the veteran on his pairing all year with Philip Broberg. He went from playing with Duncan Keith last year, basically like another coach to his left, to being the elder statesman on his pairing. Now Matthias Ekholm is back there. Guys, Evan Bouchard is a different player. Confidence. He's heading up ice with the puck. He's 
four-on-one, he decides to pick his shot and snipe it on a four-on-one. He's hitting guys. He's like he is a different player. So Ekholm's impact, you guys, ripples through the entire decor. It's not just about him coming in and playing well. So Ryan, obviously, McDavid wasn't the story in the big win over the Bruins the other night, but he has been the story of the league this season. I'm looking at the on-pace numbers. He's on pace for 67 goals, 154 points. We're talking about a season we haven't seen in, in decades. Yeah. I mean, you see it up close you know, every night. I mean, what stands out about the goal scoring? Because we knew he could pile up points, but we hadn't seen him score goals in this fashion. I think his previous career high was 44. What's changed? Well, Okay, so there's the technical part of what's changed in his game. Uh, we just did a deep dive on this. We did like a four or five minute on, feature on SportsCenter the other day. So here's the technical end. The statistics will show he is taking the puck to the middle of the ice and shooting through traffic more than he ever has before in his career. That's an Austin Matthews effect, right? That's, that's Austin Matthews. And McDavid talked about how when you score 60 goals, you're doing something right. He, he actually hit the video room. And he focused in on what guys like Matthews and Crosby were doing. Crosby scoring a lot of goals from around the blue paint. He dug in on this a little bit. So he's shooting through traffic more, more often. He is three times more likely to shoot on a two-on-one this year than he was last year. Like, these stats wow. are real. Connor McDavid has developed a shooter's instinct, which is impressive, you guys. We all know that was not his game when he came into the league. We've watched him develop a shooter's instinct, and I think it comes from him understanding for this team to go where he wants it to get to, it was something he was going to have to do. Do you think he was in a competitive-type fashion, Rich? Do you think he was pissed off that uh, Austin Matthews won the Hart Trophy last year? I don't think pissed off is, is right, because I think if you were to ask him, you know, who would you vote for? I'm not saying he would say Matthews, but I think he understands those that would. He gets the game. He knows the value of goals, right? He gets the game as well as anybody. So I don't know if pissed off, like he's been ripped off in some way, shape, or form is the right way to put it, oh, but I think, listen, does Connor McDavid like sitting there and watching Austin Matthews on an award night sweep and be the man? I mean, I'm sure he thinks, okay, yeah, that's, that's what I'm here to do. It kind of a hold my beer season, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, 60 is the mark. Okay, great, hold my beer. And so I think he, he's motivated by winning for his team, but absolutely that would be motivation for him watching the success Matthews had. Some would say that Matthews maybe closed the gap a little last year, right? Maybe closed the gap a little. Well, he's just busted that thing wide open now. It's not even close the way that he's playing him and anybody else in the league. So, yeah, does that come from a little place of ego? Of course it does. Oh, all great players have that. And Ryan, of course, he'd give it all up for success in the playoffs. In um, last segment, you know, we were talking about the Western Conference and how wide open it is. And and O's opinion is, if they get any kind of goaltending, that no one can beat the Oilers. What is your level of confidence in this team? Or or when was the last time you were this confident? Excuse me, I never said no one could beat the Oilers. I said I like their chances. Okay. Continue, please. Sorry. I was paraphrasing (laughs) my good friend Jeff O'Neill. You radioed me, and I'm on the same show. Show as you. Yeah, you just got radio. <laughs> yeah, now. I thought my words were even better. But anyways, uh, <laughs> when was the last time you were this confident in the Edmonton Oilers, Ryan? Yeah, uh, I mean, I honestly don't know that I.
final this year. It would make sense to everybody. So to answer your question, I probably have not looked at a group of Oilers and thought the potential Stanley Cup contender the way I do right now. Um, but listen, oh, uh, Colorado Avalanche are on line one for you. Oh, I can't believe you disrespect them like that. Oh, by completely, <laughs> basically giving the West to the Oilers. Why do they, It'll be a waste of eight days for Colorado to play Edmonton. Hale. That's why I had to make a correction there, Rishi, because <laughs> I'm not doing that. I'm not playing that game. The one guy yeah, I, I mean, like, Rishi, hockey-wise, you got to give credit, like, hockey-wise. I, all, I, all I know is about the player that I'm watching on the ice. And Kenny Holland, I think, stuck his neck out there a little bit when he made the acquisition of or the signing of Evander Kane. He's become a pretty important guy for them, hasn't he, as far as hockey goes? Yeah. Because... They're, he's, they're a different team without him, and when he steps back in the lineup, it seems like they play with a little bit more jam. For sure, and, and he's barely played this year, right? We all saw the injury that he went through, and then he's just getting, recently getting over some rib stuff. So he, he hasn't been available to him for a big chunk of the season. They're a different group when he's in there. Everybody walks a little bit taller. Um, but they've added some other, you know, watch, watch Vinny DeHarnay tomorrow night, you guys. I'd be interested to hear what you think about, I mean, not a lot of people would have heard of this guy Started the year way down on the depth chart. He's like six foot six, six foot seven. He's a monster, kills penalties, blocks shots. He's one of those great stories of a guy who made it late in his career. Big, strong guy. He makes them play bigger. Clem Costin came out of nowhere in that trade with St. Louis. And, you know, he may or may not be in the lineup. He's added size and grit, and he's taken some tough fights this year. They're all walking a little bit taller. Do you see what Ryan Nugent Hopkins did last week? I mean, obviously you did. It was against the Leafs. Like, where where did that come from? And yeah. I agree with you. I think Evander Kane's influence on this group. You guys remember last year, there was an incident in Mini where things got rough and ugly out there, and Evander Kane was fighting off about four guys on his own. And I think something was said, and this team has been different on that front since. And a quick comment, Rich. I guess in a salary cap era, that's kind of what you got to have. Like, you got to... You got to sign a guy that was kind of on the outs, and then you got to trade for a guy that was on the outs, and then have someone just magically appear and be really good for you. It's just almost mandatory in a salary cap era. Yeah, you need you need to have Stanley Cup winning teams have guys on bargain deals, guys playing yeah. large roles in their lineup on deals that seem really good. So I think we all know all things being completely calm, Evander Kane's number on the free agent market is probably different than what it is, um, but. He's been, by all accounts, an excellent contributor on and off the ice. Uh, it's a story that we follow closely, and by all accounts, it's been, it's been a success. And so you have that. You've got a rookie in Dayarnay. Um, but honestly, guys, like, uh, it's not talked about enough because McDavid and Dryside are here. Look at the season that Ryan Nugent Hopkins and Zach Hyman are having. Mm-hmm. Ridiculous. For the money they make, the contributions that they're giving this team – it's ridiculous to have two guys like that. Zach Hyman has 72 points. He's almost got 30 goals, and they're at 65 games into the season. Ryan Nugent Hopkins is 11th in scoring. He's got 78 points. He makes $5 bucks. Like, you talk about players accomplishing really high-end things on bargain deals. Look no further than those two. Right. You said the Zach Hyman stat with a little too much excitement there for the Toronto market. Yeah, if you we can don't just, talk about him. If you can pull him, that don't back talk about him. just a little bit, uh, <laughs> that would be great. Uh, should be that great. one is what it is, man. I still, I still <laughs> shake my head when I watch him play, and I think, how could a team, whatever financial situation you're in, 
how could you walk yourself into a scenario where you're not able to keep that person and that player on your team? And I know there was nuance there, and it's not that simple, but I, I still scratch my head at how, how that We're out of time, Val. We're out of time. we got to let you go. Oh, yeah. we got a really We're busy show. Segment. <laughs> I'll come back after the break. We'll okay. do a Hyman no. segment. All right. Well, if Ryan Rashad on for the next two hours, uh, appreciate you taking so much time for us, my friend. Yeah. Great to talk to you guys. There you have it. TSN's Oilers reporter, Ryan Rashad, getting set for the Oilers and the Maple Leafs on the weekend. Uh, A lot of Canadians doing some work at uh, TPC Sawgrass right now. Adam Svensson tied for first. Taylor Pendrith tied for sixth. Adam Hadwin tied for eighth. Three Canadians in the top ten. And they're done for the day. They suspended play. Oh, did? Okay. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, Looks so Svensson's going to go into Saturday tied for the lead with Bezadenhout. Should be a great weekend. Is, uh, is he done? Is Svensson done? Everybody's the, done. They, they, they called it somehow. No, but I mean, is Svensson's second no. round done? No. no he's only that he's sucks. 11 that through sucks. it. Or he's on 12, I think. That would be money for him if they finished 18 for the second round, and then he could just sit and watch Carnage. Yeah, exactly. Let's take a quick break. When we return on Overdrive, Jose Bautista will join us here on TSN 1050 and on TSN 4. Mark Rowan for Brian Hayes alongside Dave Feschuk and Jeff O'Neill. It's March. Everyone has baseball fever. We're only a couple weeks away from the opener. And on August 12th, a new name will go up on the level of excellence here on Toronto. And that man now joins us on the show. Blue Jays great, Jose Bautista. How's it going, Jose? I'm doing great, fellas. How are you? We're great. Uh, congratulations on the honor. Take us back to the day you found out. What was your reaction when you found out that your name would be up there with the likes of Joe Carter and Roy Halliday and Carlos Delgado? Yeah, thank you very much. Um, I've actually kind of known for a while. You know, we were trying to <laughs> do it last year. It just didn't work out. So this year will be the year, and uh, I'm incredibly humbled, excited, and honored, as you said. But, yeah, I mean, I felt I felt great. You know, it's, it's always good to be recognized, but I feel even better about coming back to Toronto, sharing that day and all my moments and, and highlights of my career with the fans, and, you know, using it just to – to show my appreciation for the love I've always received in Canada and in Toronto. You know, Jose, you had this career where I, I would, I would, I guess it's not much of an understatement to say you're a late bloomer and things really clicked in Toronto. What was it about playing in the city with the, within the organization that allowed you to become the player that you are? You know, I can't really, you know, pinpoint it. I, I don't really know how to explain it to be quite honest with you. It's just, I guess everybody's path is different, uh, but I, I always felt comfortable there. They received me in, in a tremendous way from day one. I got an opportunity, and I got proper instructions, and I was allowed to you know, try to play up to my capabilities using my strengths. So um, I enjoyed my time uh, as a player in, in Toronto thoroughly. Jose, of your former teammates that you, were, you played with as a Blue Jay, who do you think it will be important for you to have there when you are recognized by the Jays? Oh, man, there's been a bunch of guys that were influential in in my career uh, and really helped me out transitioning and and also were great teammates along the way. Um, Not only players, but also coaches and and other staff. Uh, But obviously, I would love to see some of the guys that were there when I first got to Toronto, like Alex Rios, like, um, you know, Vernon Wells, um, 
then some of the younger guys that kind of came up after I kind of established myself in Toronto, like JPR and Sevilla, uh, Ricky Romero, Travis Snyder, and obviously some of the guys that were there for the bulk of the time that I was there. Uh, and we enjoyed some playoff success together, like um, Devin Travis, um, Edwin Encarnacion, Jose Reyes, um, Ryan Goins. Uh, it's hard to kind of come up and rattle the names up in the list and not forget anybody. So if I am, uh, just I have apologize. them all there. Have them all. Exactly. Just have them all there. Well, I, if I could, I would. Believe me, yeah. if I could, I would. It, take, it really does take a village in baseball, and I, I, I do recognize and admit that for sure. Well, 344 career home runs in the regular season, six home runs in the postseason. Of course, the one home run that we remember the most in the postseason, Game 5 against the Rangers, the bat flip. What about that moment stands out to you the most? Um, you know, just the fact that it was a big moment that the, you know, that we were able to kind of enjoy in the first time back in the playoffs after a 22-year drought. That's probably the, the biggest thing for me. And um, you know, it was just a peak of a tough series with back and forth. We kind of started 0 and 2 and. You know, we kind of felt like it was a tough hole to dig out of, and we tied it. And then that game on the game five had so much back and forth and so much drama with some of the ways that they score runs and all the errors they made, they made leading up to the home runs. And it was a pretty dramatic game, dramatic series, and it was just a peak of uh, um, emotions uh, after I hit the home run. Jose, you, you, of course, hold the Blue Jays franchise record for home runs in a single season with 54. Now, Vladdy Jr. got 48 a couple of years back. Did you, I don't know if you know it or not, but when you go see the, uh, the stadium down by the lake, they're moving in the fences as we speak. Uh, are you worried that maybe your franchise record could be imperiled, but, <laughs> but with an asterisk because the park is different? <laughs> No, not at all, man. And listen, uh, I just want the, the Blue Jays and a lot of those players, including Vladdy, who I know personally, to ha- have and enjoy a lot of success. You know, records are meant to be broken. I don't have any ego in this. So while it's nice to enjoy for the moment, if that means that another Blue Jay player gets to have a, an amazing season and hopefully that leads to another playoff run, so be it. Jose, I sat behind in the, in the outfield behind you for, for a couple games. It was random. And you were pretty busy out there. Like, you were constantly moving, stretching. Are you taking that routine into, like, regular life now, like at the grocery (laughs) store? Because you always seem to be stretching the hammies. You were always doing something between pitches. Is that, like, filtering into your regular life now? Sometimes. Sometimes I catch myself, you know. (laughs) At 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 some of the kids' sporting events and stuff, you know, I see myself stretching, and I'm like, oh, man. I'm still doing this. But, uh, no, it's like I always try to be in tune with my body and kind of get rid of tightness and just kind of move around. So um, it's one of those things that just kind of created habits, right? So it's kind of stuck with me. Have you softened your approach on anything since not playing for the Jays? I mean, I used to play professional hockey, and I used to think everybody in the media was a turkey and now I'm involved in the media, and I understand that they're good people just trying to do a job. You seem to be an intense athlete. With You had an edge to you sometimes. Have you softened at all in, in some areas you look at like that or no? Well, I don't know. I mean, I kind of had a switch, and I was – I looked at performing in my sport like, you know, going to battle every single day. So 
I kind of flipped the switch as I got to the park. Uh, I've always had a a kind of soft demeanor to life, I guess, if you want to use those words, uh, just because you, you chose them uh, out off the field. But uh, intensity, yeah, it was a driver for me, and I just felt like I needed to get there to perform at my highest level. And, um, you know, I try not to be apologetic, but I also try to not offend anybody when I was out on the field. But, uh, you know, intensity and emotion were definitely uh, some of my drivers. Uh, joined by Jose Bautista, and you talked about the the relationship that you have with Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Uh, what has been your assessment to his swing as a home run hitter? Have you given him any advice as he tries to emerge as the next Jose Bautista in the city? Well, I try not to get involved at that level. Every, whatever he's doing is working, and the last thing I want to do is insert myself in that conversation and mess him up. He's a, a great young, talented hitter at a way earlier age than me. So if anything, I can learn from him. Uh, he's got a tremendous approach, and I think that sticks with you throughout a career more than just a swing. You're always adapted, uh, adapting and changing your swing according to how the league is pitching and how teams are attacking you. So he's done tremendous, uh, tremendously uh, in, early in his career, and he's going to continue to be a force to to be reckoned with for, for a long time in the major leagues. Well, we're, uh, we're hoping that the Blue Jays can have success on the field this year. Uh, you know, you always have a place in this city with the memories that you created as a Blue Jay, and uh, it'll be a great one on August 12th when you see your name go up on the level of excellence. Congratulations on that, Jose, and thanks again for joining us here on Overdrive. Yeah, no problem. Toronto and the fans have a special place in my heart as well, so I can't wait to be back. Awesome stuff. Thank you. There's Jose Bautista. Um, you brought up the 54 home runs uh, in 2010, and obviously the bat flip. Um, it was uh, it was certainly a player who will be remembered for a long, long time in this city. It's nice to see him. He seems like there's a calmness about him and a happiness about him. Like I, I, I tried to say it respectfully, but he was a pretty edgy guy. Oh yeah, he, he's. Yeah, well, he had no a doubt. snarl on a lot of the times. Ask he, sound, he sounds pretty happy right now. Yeah. Uh, we'll uh, we'll get back to the Leafs and the Oilers. Cheryl Powder is going to join us to kick off the 5 o'clock hour. I uh, do want to get into some basketball with the Raptors taking on the Lakers tonight. Uh, Dan Wojcicki from the LA Times is going to join us at 5.30. So that's all coming up. This is Overdrive on TSN 1050 and on TSN 4.